Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Chicago Techies podcast, a podcast focused on highlighting the voices of Chicago Techies and their experiences. I'm your host, Ceci Fisher Benitez. Thank you for joining us. On this week's episode, I am joined by Jane Yang, Senior Data Analyst at Basecamp. Hey, Jane, uh, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of the Chicago Techies podcast. I'm so excited to talk to you about your career trajectory and your experience in the tech community. Uh, so why don't we get started? Um, why don't you uh, tell me your name, your pronouns, where you're from, and your current role? Thank you for having me, Cece. Um, so my name is Jane. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I uh, am the child of Chinese immigrants, grew up in Michigan, um, lived in a few different places in the US, uh, the, went to school in New Jersey, uh, worked in DC, also worked in Nairobi, Kenya for a number of years uh, before landing here in Chicago. And I'm currently at Basecamp, which is a remote tech company that builds a small project management software and now also an email service provider. Um, and I am their data analyst. That's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, can you, you mentioned a few things, but can you uh, tell me a little bit about your career trajectory starting from the time that you were in school, in college, um, and then navigating to your first role? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I studied chemical engineering in college, and, and part, of, part of the reason was because I think growing up, I just had no concept of what were professions that you could have. And so my dad had studied engineering and my mother had been a doctor in China. And so, you know, those were like two of the professions that I was aware of and I was not going to be going to school for eight years <laughs> to become a doctor. So engineer it was. Um, and I think that I was drawn to it because of the math and science components, but I also, through extracurriculars in college, learned about other options for what you can do uh, with your skills, and and I learned especially about international development, and the idea of essentially um, applying your skills to an area that is uh, often underlooked. Um, and so, my first job out of college had absolutely nothing to do with engineering. Um, in fact, the only like real skill that I brought to the table was uh, the ability to write in fluent English. <laughs> and my first job out of college was I was supporting the um, grants department of the International Rescue Committee uh, based in Nairobi, Kenya. My manager was a Kenyan woman who was in charge of the department and just ne needed a little bit of help organizing and, and writing grant reports. And that was my first job. That's cool. I uh, I was totally creeping in your LinkedIn, actually, and I did see that um, you were in uh, Kenya. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your Engineers Without Borders experience? So I think what, what sparked my interest in international development and, he, and just introduced me to the concept as a whole was my work with Engineers Without Borders. And Engineers Without Borders is like this organization that pairs professional and student engineers with communities um, in countries around the world and you know you, you partner to build some small engineering project over the course of five years so maybe it's it's latrines in our case we built um, one of the first public libraries in a community in Ghana um, uh, and, th and that was like an extracurricular that just took up uh, it, it essentially was my unofficial major 
I mean, I like I have the diploma in chemical engineering, but really I majored in engineers that borders. Um, and when I was leaving college, I decided that I wanted to try to pursue that. You know, the, there are traditional engineering paths that are open. Um, and I had, for instance, interned at a traditional engineering company to see like maybe I would like this too, but it really didn't feel as fulfilling. Um, and so I decided to pivot basically and see what I could do to just get a foot in the door. My entire career has been a, a, like a journey of pivots, um, whether it's across different sectors or across functions. And a large part of it has been because I've been, I've been really lucky to, and like really privileged to be in a position to be able to like conscientiously make some of those pivots. Um, and I've also just sort of kept my mind open about sure, I can, I can do this job, even though it has nothing to do with the degree that I just spent four years working on. <laughs> for sure. I feel like that's the case for a lot of people. I mean, myself included, and my degree was in Spanish language and literature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before going into education and now, you know, being in, in tech. But so you touched on the pivoting part. Um, so you, right after all these programs that you did abroad, um, you came back and you, did you, and you worked for Deloitte, right? I think it was the next step. Yeah. So I, um, I had actually been given an offer from Deloitte at the same time I got my fellowship offer. And I was like, well, actually, I got my Deloitte offer before I got my fellowship offer. And as an in incredibly risk adverse individual, who could not be unemployed right after college. Like there was no concept of you can sit on your parents' couch after you graduate. You're like, you got to start paying the bills now, you know? <laughs> so I, like, I accepted the Deloitte offer. And then when I got my fellowship offer a couple of months later, I begged Deloitte to defer my start date so that I could do the fellowship, um, which meant that then I had a job at Deloitte lined up for afterwards, which was both something I was incredibly lucky to have and also something that was really challenging because at the end of my fellowship, I was like, yep, I really do like working in this sort of field. I'd like to continue it. I have other opportunities, but I gave Deloitte my word. And so I decided to go back and, you know, I, 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 I was able to support their emerging markets team, which works with USAID and the World Bank and does, you know, like still work that is considered international development, but I think a very, very different kind of international development and, and one that made me see, um, you know, how, <laughs> how the political aspects uh, <laughs> uh, come into play. Um, and, you know, started to introduce me to the, uh, the, the global dynamics as well of, of debt and this, how, the large amounts of international aid really uh, is just a trickle in comparison. Um, but I stuck it out for two years in DC and then I uh, followed my heart and went back to Nairobi um, and joined another organization. This was a, this is a social enterprise called One Acre Fund that um, focuses on smallholder farmers. And in particular, it, it partners with smallholder farmers and it gives them access to buy improved seed and fertilizer and other um, impactful products just to increase their yield and, and be able to like feed their families for a full year. Um, and that I joined as an internal consultant. So I pivoted from grant writer to external consultant from multilateral organizations in the government to an in-house consultant at a social enterprise. And that's where I really started to 
get my hands into a whole bunch of different functions in an organization because um, my team's definition was help fill in the gaps where we don't have a formalized department yet. And so, for instance, there was no formalized data department. And so I, I ended up doing a lot of data analysis and pulling from like the deep dredges of my memory. You know, I used to I used to script in MATLAB in college. I could probably learn this thing called R um, and like figure out how to analyze data um, in, a, in a way that was helpful for the organization. And I also like helped out a lot with um, recruiting and diversity initiatives and things like that. So. Uh, that was three years. And then for personal reasons, um, I ended up needing to come back to the U.S. Uh, and so that was like, wow, I spent, I spent three years with one of your friends. I was like, I have no idea what the job market looks like in the U.S., let alone in the Midwest, because it had been 10 years at that point since I've been back to the Midwest. Um, and I spent uh, probably about six months trying to find a job in Detroit, which is the largest city near where I grew up before I realized, I don't know, this is going to work out. <laughs> and widened the, the circle a little bit to Chicago uh, and luckily was able to find a job here and, and pivoted specifically into a data role um, because that's what the market was looking for. And that first job back in Chicago was not technically in, de in tech. It was uh, in a community development financial institution okay. um, called IFF. Uh, so it's a nonprofit and they're specifically focused on how do we bring more capital to uh, nonprofits and individuals and businesses that are traditionally ignored a lot by the, you know, by the big banks. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a great experience in terms of just getting a better understanding of what the dynamics were with power and money and, <laughs> and all of that here in the in the US because frankly I just hadn't I'd been out of it for so long having worked in, in Kenya for and on international um, projects for so long uh, and at the same time I'd sort of like learned about base camp where I currently work um, because uh, when I was trying to find jobs, I was like, well, if I can't find a job in Detroit, maybe a remote company. What are what are private sector remote companies who build a product I could get behind and like actually actually like be okay with working in? And I think that I think that truth be told, I had like a very personal bias of I'm very wary of private sector companies. Um and and especially the the especially like the the bro culture in tech companies. Um, and so, you know, I was very like particular about which tech companies, if I was going to offer them, it just, there were so many and they were hiring. And so I sort of kept my eye on Basecamp because it seemed like it was different. It seemed like the most anti bro tech company. <laughs> um, and they, you know, luckily enough, ended up posting for a data analyst. And I thought, ah, this is probably very, very much of a long shot, but throw my hat into the ring. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So I know this, this is, I'm going to go back a little bit to your time in Kenya, just because this is just my own personal interest. How sure. are you living there? I loved it. Um, so I, I think that one of the things with living abroad is one, you really get to see what it, like a different, an experience, a different culture. Um, and what I love about the culture that I that I experienced in Kenya, in Nairobi, and also in like the rural areas where One Acre Fund was mostly worked, um, was there's just a, this this really true sense of communal support 
that's very welcoming. Um, it's, it's in sharp contrast to a highly individualistic, capitalistic culture that is the majority here in the U.S. Um, I was really lucky in that when I was in college, one of the internships I did, one of my co-interns um, is Kenyan. And so when I got my first job, I told her, oh my gosh, I got a job in Nairobi, which is where she grew up. Can you introduce me to some of your friends? <laughs> um, which is so wonderful because, you know, from that first job when I was working for the International Rescue Committee to when I went back briefly to Nairobi while I was with Deloitte on a project for them. And then to that third time that I moved to Nairobi with One Acre Fund, I had, I had friends who were already there and I could make new friends as well. Um, so the culture was amazing. And then like the nature is just incredible. I mean, Nairobi is about two hours away from the Rift Valley. It's literally where, you know, the Lion King was based off of. I mean, it, there's something wild about coming back from the airport and just like casually seeing a zebra on the side of the road. <laughs> Jealous. <laughs> um, that's all. That's sounds like an amazing experience. I feel like just like how much culture culturally like enrichment, right? That you got from that. That's that sounds like an awesome, amazing opportunity. And you did it for quite a few years too. So that's even better. Yeah, I lived in Nairobi for a total of, of four years. So I, I graduated college in 2011. So it's, I've now been nine years out. And it feels very strange to me that I've, I've crossed the threshold where I've actually worked in the U.S. as a professional longer than I've worked in Kenya as a professional, because for, for the longest time, it was the opposite way. <laughs> but, um, so I know that uh, with Deloitte, your, I guess your official title was Strategy and Operations. Um, yeah, um, Deloitte has uh, has a bunch of different branches. They have like an auditing function, for instance, and then within their consulting function, they have a you know it's it's broadly called strategy and operations, as opposed to actually technology consulting, which was a separate practice, which I was not in. <laughs> yeah, so that was actually like my one of my questions. I was like, how was that transition from like being in strategy and operations to like data analytics now, um, and how are the two similar? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that there's um, the, the biggest transition that I felt was the difference of being an external consultant versus an internal in-house person. And that's that's not necessarily, um, it, you know, you can be an external data analyst as well. But I think for me, what I experienced was the biggest challenge wasn't so much the functional change of being strategy and operations versus data analyst. It was the complete like role shift of being an outside advisor uh, versus being an internal ally who has greater depth of understanding of what's going on in the business and is able to therefore provide a more holistic view of what's going on. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I because I don't even know the differences. Like I don't, I've never worked as a consultant. So, you know, Deloitte, Accenture, all these places, like I have no idea what they do. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think that like consulting is, is this huge umbrella industry. Um, and there's like super technical and specific consulting, right? Like you could be a security consultant for software companies and like, that's very, very niche. Um, but the, 
broad, wide umbrella of what is management consulting, which is like what Deloitte and McKinsey and, you know, all of that do. It's, I mean, you know, I think that like they would like to, to say that what they do is, is provide additional value by helping you make better business decisions. Um, uh, you know, in reality, the day that they work was, it was often an augmentation of staff, um, you know, a quick way to get a short infusion of staff. And um, it, there's such a broad uh, range of projects that are ongoing that it would be unfair for me to characterize all of the industry through my experience. But um, I think, yeah, you can you can largely think of management consulting as like, you have this, this business problem and what are some ways that you can tackle it? You know, we might like talk to your employees for you as an independent third party and then aggregate the information up and share that with like implications. Um, layering on top of like, here's data that we analyze based on surveys or other things that, you know, we've done. Um, and like you say, hello, here's what we think you should do. But all, at the end of the day, it's all just like recommendations that are, um, probably, you know, like it will take someone else to fully understand and contextualize them and then to take that additional step of implementation. Got it. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. I, yeah, because I know I have quite a few friends that are like, that I work for Accenture or um, have had a couple of friends that I've known that worked at Deloitte and they're always traveling. I, that's all I know. I feel like if you work at one of these places, you're always going to be traveling. That's what you do. <laughs> um, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there, I mean, especially if you're doing private sector consulting, um, it's it's odd in that like the office that your staff is coming from doesn't have to be in the same city as where your client is. And so like you could very well be in a situation of the Denver office of a consulting firm is sending clients to Kansas City or sending consultants to a client in Kansas City, even though Kansas City also has consultants in that office. It's, a, it's an interesting model. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I yeah so now I'm just a little curious about your own experience kind of you you did mention besides being like super conscious of like not wanting to work for a place that was like very broy um, what are some of the challenges that you kind of noticed in your path as you navigate like the industry well you know I mean one of the first challenges and I give Basecamp a lot of credit for this because they're they're very they were very open minded with me about this was like. There are, for instance, specifically with data analytics, there's a lot of people who, who have already worked in startups because there are a lot of startups <laughs> and a lot of startups don't survive. So then there are a lot of people who are, have startups experience who are on the job market. Um, and one of the, the um, biggest challenges is that there's, there's, it can be easy to sort of get intimidated by, here's the alphabet soup of our tech stack and all of the very specific um, vendors or programs or whatnot that we use, uh, like you have to understand all of it immediately at once, day day one, right? Um, and I think that that's like a mental hurdle uh, that a lot of people can feel. And I certainly that was sort of some of the imposter syndrome that I had talking in my head, even as I was putting together my application for Basecamp. Um, to Basecamp's credit, they they have been like very open about like we know that no one can come in with their you know like knowing everything that it's everyone has to learn that even a very seasoned technology um, like person would like still need to be able to learn a little bit about our systems and and the, the ways that we do things here. Um, but that that certainly I think is like with a technical field, there's always that little bit of an imposter 
voice in your head just saying like, ah, do I really know this? <laughs> Absolutely, I totally agree. Actually, to your point earlier about how you thought it was gonna be a long shot to get that role that you were applying for. Um, I, similarly, I feel like even though I, you know, I feel pretty confident about like my abilities, but I still have a lot of insecurities and uh, even applying to just Code for America, the name itself, it kind of like thought it was like, yeah. I thought it was just like big, you know, like it was kind of like almost unattainable. That was like, there's no way they're going to, I'm going to get a call, but, I, but whatever, I'm still going to try, you know, like I, I feel like I joke about it now, but like at the, in that moment, it was like, it almost, I almost did not apply because I wasn't really sure, but that's, I guess that's all part of the journey. Like imposter syndrome is always going to be there. We just kind of have to learn to manage it. Uh, and that's kind of like one of the things that I've talked to a lot, um, to people here in this, in this podcast often, because I feel like we all go through yeah. it. And if you don't, you're lying. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah absolutely. I, I appreciate that. Why don't we uh, switch gears a little bit and let's touch on mentorship. I, I always like to ask uh, my guests uh, how they go about, you know, ma- uh, managing their mentor mentors and, and how do they go about mentorship? So do you mind sharing your take on mentorship? Yeah. The way that I think about mentors is like, what is the area that I am struggling with and I'm hoping to get different perspectives on? So I don't have, and, and to be honest, I've never had like one person that I've considered my mentor who is like following me throughout my entire career and, you know, is the go-to person that I ask questions about. Um, I know some folks who seem to have those mentors and I'm always like, wow, how did you do that? <laughs> but like, it, it just never worked out for me like that. Um, instead, I sort of have this concept called, I, I call it like a personal board. Um, and and the, the people on it change over time. Uh, but um, basically, there are people who know me for different aspects. Maybe they know me through work. Maybe they know me because they're another person who is in the same discipline as I am or who's in a, an adjacent discipline that I'm trying to learn more from. Um, or they're just someone who, like, knows me as a person and knows some of my interpersonal uh, like strengths and development areas. (laughs) Um, And depending on if I'm in a situation and I just like really wish that I had sounding board, I'll think to who who are those people who are my personal board and I'll try to reach out to them and, and um, have a conversation. And it goes, it goes both ways. Like I I have some friends who sort of do the same and like reach out to me. and, And so I sort of see mentorship as more of a peer support network as opposed to like a top down, I am a mentee and I have a mentor. For sure. I, and I resonate with that. I think that's, uh, I, I, you, you actually did speak about that too in that event mm-hmm. that you know, I was at when, and heard you, but um, I've heard that uh, concept before. And I've also heard, which is very similar to like the MySpace top six, you know, like kind of like idea of like having, <laughs> <laughs> having those top friends out there and like, everybody, everybody's there for a reason. <laughs> um, so I really like that. Um, I, I was just ch- chatting with a friend of mine recently about, that whole concept of having like your own personal board of directors, right? And uh, and being a lot of them being your friends and 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 who are your go-to people for for that. So that's definitely uh, something that I I appreciate. 
So now, I mean, I, is there anything else that you do like on the side for um, different groups out there? Are you like, you know, do you volunteer? What, what do you do for fun uh, when it comes to like the tech aspect of things? I am someone who, like, I think at, at my heart, I'm a generalist. And so my volunteering is not necessarily tech focused. Um, I am a mentor through a program called Ladies of Virtue. Uh, which is a specifically like a woman-to-woman mentorship program. Um, and it so happens that at least one of my mentees has like some technical interest, um, but that's just like coincidence and not <laughs> not uh, like a, because it is a dedicated tech, tech mentoring program or anything like that. Um, and then I also uh, am a, on the leadership council for Awkwardly Global. Uh, which is a nonprofit that supports new America, like new immigrants um, who have professional backgrounds in their home countries and are trying to start their professional career here in the U.S. And that's a mission that's pretty close to my heart since that that's a story of my parents. Um, and unfortunately, all too often, um, a lot of immigrant talent is wasted um, or underutilized in the U.S. And so uh, that is like a, an organization that's near and dear to my heart because they're one of the few that are focused on like uh, that that particular challenge. Um, and then I'm also uh, a volunteer for Sarah Circle, which is a um, nonprofit that provides uh, home, like sh- uh, services to women who are experiencing homelessness. And they're based in Uptown, which is where I live here in Chicago. So I think uh, to a certain extent, like I can't, I can't be full on tech all the time. <laughs> and so, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunately, I'm not as plugged in specifically to the tech space in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I totally, that's, that's great. I feel like that's a, that's a great uh, way to do things. I used to do that. I used to um, sit on the board for uh, Deborah's Place, which is also mm-hmm. uh, services for women. Yeah. Homelessness, homelessness. I was I was in the board for about three years, um, and I did a year and a half with uh, I mentor so uh, you know mentor yeah. students in the in the west side of Chicago. Um, just my mentee didn't was not interested in tech, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. it was still a really great experience. I definitely think that that's important stuff that we should all be doing and looking at different organizations to support, not just solely tech. Um, I just happen to be really involved with tech now, <laughs> uh, but totally appreciate that work. That sounds great. Yeah, no, I think that um, one of the things that, because I've pivoted my career quite a bit, one of the things that I've come to realize about myself is that my identity is um, increasingly less about my work. For a long time, the strongest portion of my identity was my work and what my job title was. And I mean, and this was not necessarily like a conscious decision I I like voluntarily did, but when I moved back to the US, it was because there are some personal things going on that demanded more of my attention. And like, I just couldn't spend as much time focused on my work. And so, you know, I I had to learn how to like redevelop how I thought about my identity Um, and in seeking like, where I spend my time, part of that is like, okay, part of it is where do I think there still is a need for greater resources and that also provides me selfishly with some fulfillment um, in, in my like personal identity. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I don't know how to say this, but like, I totally agree with all of that. Um, 
I feel like I kind of like hit a core there because I feel like that's kind of what I've been struggling with too, um, with mm-hmm. like my identity. I mean, I feel like, you know, I was uh, on a, on a, uh, unemployed for six months. Uh, and yeah. that whole process, that was, that can really play with your mind. Um, mm-hmm. I, I felt like I had, I like thought that my worth decreased when I wasn't working, you know, or when I wasn't uh, doing the work, work that mattered or anything like that um, or something like that. But it just, I feel like that is something that I continue to kind of like work through. I know that this is the work yeah. that I'm doing is now matters and it's, it's what I want to be doing um, and working yeah. in the tech community too. That's stuff that I care. I really care deeply about. So that's, that all is good and all, and that's part of me, but I, there's also other projects that I want to engage in. Like, you know, there's yeah. this organization like Chicago Run. I want to be on their board. I want to help them, like, you know, make fitness to kids and things like that, just because that also matters. Um, but I feel like it's it's been kind of a, a journey um, learning all, all about your identity and who you are. And it's okay to be different. It's okay to not be doing all things tech or all things one area of expertise. Um, so that's yeah. definitely something that I continue to work on, on myself as well. So. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, and it's going to change over time, right? Like what we want to be able to focus on, what we have the ability to focus on totally changes over time. Absolutely. Um, Right now, my wife and I are in the process of starting to try for a family. Um, So all (gasps) That's so exciting. I know this is like a big announcement now that I'm making. (laughs) Um, But that that has been like my main priority lately. Um, I've been really focusing on myself and my health and my wife's health. And like the two of us are really just uh, taking all of this serious. And we are like learning how to really just detach from work and prioritize our family. Um, So setting some boundaries around that has been uh, a challenge, but it's been, you know, a good one. so, and, and I'm lucky to be working for Code for America. They're super, you know, flexible. And I mean, it's a remote role, which actually brings me to something that we should be talking about because you are also a remote employee. Yes. Um, and I want to hear your perspectives um, about being remote. But uh, yeah, so that's that's just like a whole identity and, you know, everything evolves and your priorities are evolving too. So I, I appreciate that um, that conversation. So um, yeah, so let's let's segue to this remote work <laughs> um, because right now good. <laughs> everybody's remote anyway. Um, so, have you? Is this the first time you worked remotely, or have you done it before? This is the first time that I've been a hundred percent remote in a remote first company. In previous jobs, maybe it was like, oh, you can you know work from home a couple of days a week. Um, or like one day a week or something, but this one, Basecamp is, is had is a fundamentally, there's a big difference between working from home and working remotely. And, and Basecamp is really about working remotely and the trust and the systems and everything else that's needed to allow their team to do really good work remotely. That's awesome. Um, so what are some of the tips that you do you mind sharing a few tips about working remotely? What, how do you prioritize your day? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I think part of it is that like in a remote first company like Basecamp, we have very few meetings, which does mean that like I have quite a bit of control over what my, my day looks like. 
my function is mostly reactive. You know, it's like other teams are reaching out and saying, hey, can we get a little bit of data to help us with this particular decision? Um, or in some of the other hats that I wear at base camp, a large part of them is like following what's going on in the broader world and figuring out what that means for base camp. So it is also inherently uh, reactive. Um, and so I tend to plan my work about a week in advance of like, I know in the next six weeks, these are the things that I want to do. So then next week, what do I think I have both the attention for? And it matches up in terms of like what has some non-negotiable deadlines. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's definitely like a constant work in progress to figure out the best way to do the prioritizing the work. But um, I think that it, it really comes down to that overlay of both considering what is needed and also, what do you as an individual have the ability to productively work on right now? Because uh, sometimes you just have to be real that like, you know, this thing is really important, but if I do this for eight hours, two days in a row, it's, I'm gonna be very unproductive by the end of the day. So let me break this up into a couple sessions instead. <laughs> Um, so this is also my first time uh, being remote, like a, a remote employee. So it's been a, definitely a learning uh, experience for me. I I've learned to use many other tools now to keep myself organized, like Asana and uh, Trello, mm -hmm. and like yeah. and obviously I just live off of Google, like Google uh, Calendar. But yeah, so it's it's definitely been been like a new new model for me. Um, yeah, but Are you, would you say that like? So personally, as an introvert, I found it surprisingly easy to transition to remote work because I love just being in my house, which I have made like my safe space and being able to make myself a warm lunch every day. Now that my boyfriend has moved in, like we have lunch together every day, you know, like I love those aspects and I love not having to spend two hours a day commuting to an office. Um, and for me, it's like, the job of it takes a little bit longer for me to get to know my colleagues it's like i'm okay with that i can you know <laughs> i'll be here a while i've got time but i'm curious how it, i mean because you seem like a, a bit more of an extrovert how's that transition been for you yeah i am an extrovert and it's been um well i feel like i have been managing well i actually joined uh, quite a few like slack workspaces um over the last couple of years and each of them have like a like a coffee chats kind of vibe um so i've actually been having a lot of like connecting with other people from now all over the states not just here uh when yeah. i was here i mean a lot of like my like connections where like we would go out for coffee and they would be local but now i feel like i can just now i just kind of expanded to like places in california people in california that i'm having like coffee with people in uh in new york um and it just because they it, we you know we connect over like latinas in tech or the tequeria slack um so i feel like my my people energy is still there because i'm meeting i'm still meeting a lot of people um but the, i'm i'm gonna be interested to see how this is gonna be different when events start happening again locally and when when we start going out but i'm a little nervous about going out like i'm not sure if i really want to go back to that <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm I'm hunkering down for the next two to three years. I think that's how long it's going to be until things are really safe again uh, from a COVID perspective. Yeah, yeah. So I I've actually been doing doing pretty well um, with this. I thought it was going to be a lot difficult, but it's, it has not been surprisingly. Um, 
So I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just like an, an extrovert with like a homebody, like a feeling that is fine <laughs> as well. So. That's great. That's for real. Yeah. So it's been, uh, it's been, it's been fun. Um, now in the spirit of, uh, sharing advice, in general, I guess, like, how, what's your advice about someone that wants to start kind of like dabbling with data and learning more about it? Um, what are some of the resources that we can look into? Yeah. Um, so the first one is just like start to ask some questions because that's where you start to decide which of these questions can data help with. Um, data is ultimately like data analysis, is ultimately an exercise of ask a question, figure out how to measure what you need to be able to answer part of it. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, there are, depending on the question, there's a lot of different tools you could use. It could be as simple as a spreadsheet, or you might need to have other tools available to you, like a programming language like R or Python, to be able to manage the volume of data that you're working with. There are a lot of great Coursera courses out there. I'll be completely honest in that I'm very I'm not great at taking online courses. So the way that I tend to teach myself is I ask a question and then I say, okay, I'm going to use this new thing to answer it. And I just like Google my way through to the answer. <laughs> um, but fundamentally data analysis is around asking a question, figuring out the various dimensions to measure it, and then trying to, to look into those uh, to figure out the answer. Yeah, that's that's good advice. I think I'm gonna I'm, I def, I took a, a data 101 uh, class at General Assembly, um, just a free introduction course, and I've learned a lot just from just like working with Google Sheets um, or just yeah. or so that was really interesting. And I think um, and I'll, I'll be working a lot with Salesforce too uh, in my mm-hmm. role. So I I uh, I'm starting to kind of look at courses, online courses, to kind of just get an introduction uh, feeling to it. Uh, let's move on. So what are your goals for the future? Like what are, what's next for Jane? Yeah. You know, the, the, the further along I get in my career, the shorter I plan in advance. I used to like, when I was straight out of college, I was like, this is, you know, this is the next 10 years for me. And now I'm just like, we'll see what next month brings. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think like, um, at some point I would like to, try my hand at working in uh, in government, um, largely because I see government as uh, being able to affect some of the, the systems um, that I care a lot about, you know, in, in the US. And um, I have zero experience working there, um, but I, I think that there is a lot of potential for um, joining others who are already creating impact, um, both positive and negative, um, and trying to sort of like nudge a little bit more towards the positive. <laughs> yeah. um, so that's that's something, but it's it's not a concrete plan by any means right now. Yeah. Well, you know, in the next couple of years, when you're ready to transition, you should definitely also check out Code for America because that could be a good stepping stone for you before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you should definitely check check it out. I think the work that we're doing is is kind of like in that kind of realm um, of assisting government to have better software, right, and build better software and um, and be able to uh, provide the services in the right way and not you know not have a build a website that will crash every five minutes. Um, so that's yeah. <laughs> a really cool, uh, experience watching um, some of our team work on different projects like 
um, like get CalFresh, like get, getting people food in um, in California and getting people their refunds with get your get your refunds. So that's mm-hmm. been it's been a really um, great experience for me. Uh, just kind of feeling yeah. so filled, right, uh, with the work that you're doing. So um, definitely plus one with all of that and you should definitely come join <laughs> <laughs> love the plug <laughs> anyway um so i want to give people the opportunity to connect with you too um if you're open to it uh how can people connect with you yeah um i'm on linkedin so you can look for me on linkedin and then i'm also um open to folks reaching out and talking especially uh if there are folks who you know like feel like they aren't seeing a lot of folks who look like them um or who have alternative stories um, and career trajectories um you can reach me at my personal email address which is jane at hey h-e-y dot com awesome and i'll put all that information in the show notes too so that people can perfect those um but anyway yeah thank you so much for joining me today i know that it was kind of like out of the blue when i reached out oh not at all i think it's super awesome that you're doing this and i'm really grateful that you invited me i mean this is a super cool experience and yeah i'm uh, i'm like it, i'm really really glad that you're doing this thank you for taking your time to do all of the work and the organizing and the production i mean editing is not easy it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. I, it's you know, it just it's what I like to do. So de- definitely, if I can give back to someone that may find this helpful, that just means a lot. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Chicago Techies podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to subscribe, share, and leave a review on iTunes. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us at Chicago Techies on all social media channels. Thank you again, and we'll see you in two weeks.